You're listening to the Kilcullen Diary Podcasts. Stories in sound from a village grown bigger. Hello, I'm Brian Byrne. You're listening to In Those Days, a Kilcullen Diary series on memories of times before today. Mine, my family's and other people's. In this episode, I'm looking back in my mind's eye at my grandfather's hardware and drapery store on Main Street. The sign on the supermarket promised a new way of shopping soon. It reminded me of how that particular shop once was. When I was growing up, there were two separate shops there. One was a combination of drapery and hardware store owned by my grandfather. The other was a grocery and a pub owned by a pair of grand-aunts, his sisters Peg and Nora. To a small boy, growing up in the late 40s, early 50s, both had enormous attractions. The most important to me in those very early memories was the glass-walled office near the front, providing full views of both the drapery and the hardware shop for Grandad's bookkeeper, Miss Young, the real boss. Every purchase in either part of the premises had a handwritten docket presented to Miss Young with payment made before the customer left the shop unless they had the credit status to have their purchase put in the book. There were many attractions there for me, not least of which Miss Young apparently had a soft spot for me. Every day when I called in after school, she would give me half a milk flake twisted back in its original wrapper. I never wondered what happened to the other half, but in retrospect can only assume she ate it herself, because my piece had all the wrapper. It was a place of many textures and smells. On the hardware side, overseen by the late Tom Keegan, there were wonderful things, such as the shining copper rabbit snares hung from a nail on one of the posts that held up the mezzanine balcony. Stocks of all kinds were stored on that balcony, accessed by a stairs that even today I remember as being exceptionally steep. Those snares were a little stake of wood with a loop of copper wire noose. Set along a run by those who knew our rabbits fed at night, the hapless animal was likely to catch a leg in the copper loop. When the noose tightened, there was no way they could get free. The next morning, the setter of the snares would come armed with a stick to kill any which hadn't already died of fright. That may seem cruel today. But I know families whose parents and grandparents were absolutely dependent on the snared rabbits to feed their families. Tough times of scarce work and no social welfare safety net are not such a long time back. Clay pipes were also strung together on the poles. For us children they were great for blowing bubbles with soapy water mixture. The amount of soap was important, too much or too little, and it didn't work. This was before modern detergents, which later made bubbles much easier to achieve. An aluminium cap available for the pipe with holes in it was generally to increase the smoking time of the user. But with some practice on our part, it also allowed the blowing of multiple joint bubbles. The hardware smells were myriad. Cardboard boxes of nails and screws behind the counter had their own particular aroma. Towards the back of the shop, the taint of the iron oxide coating on rusting loose nails in boxes in the back store was metallically acrid. You got to that store by stepping up through an arch beyond the end of the counter. I have previously written about the smells in there of the battery acid and paraffin. 
A large lever balance scales just inside the archway was primarily used for weighing out sacks of scene and other stuff. We youngsters used to delight in weighing ourselves from time to time, in the process upsetting the calibration and Tom Keegan. But we were the old boss's grandchildren and fairly untouchable. The store opened onto the back lane. Across that were two open shed areas for storage of more bulky stuff. Long lengths of steel and angle iron, a coal locker, a closed-in place where coffins were stored. My great-grandfather had been a carpenter who made coffins as well as buildings, which activity was the start of the family's involvement in funeral undertaking, a business that only ceased with the untimely death of my younger brother Des in 2005. The drapery side of the business was operated by the Mrs. Maine and Duffy. There wasn't that much there of interest to us youngsters, except at Christmas when the toys came out for sale. Travelling even to Dublin then was a big consideration for most local people, a journey only by bus for many. There were no shopping centres, no specialist toy shops, so several shops in town did the Christmas toys thing. The main one was Burns Drapery, and to local children the shop was a magical place. I still have vivid memories of the big display in the drapery side window, and an even bigger one in the shop itself. For us burn children, it was even more magical because we would play with many of the toys to the regular consternation of the Mrs. Maine and Duffy, lovely people who had to tidy things up afterwards. Otherwise, a drapery business in a town like Kilcullen was important for shirts, jumpers, shoes, jackets and coats and work clothes. Everybody shopped locally. That the town supported so many draperies, Burns, Kenny's, Barden's, Maloney's come immediately to mind, and there were others, is a reflection of that. I particularly recall a wide selection of Wellington boots. How many people wear wellies today in daily use? Back then, they were all black, all made by Dunlop. Accessories were important stock. Ribbons came in rolls of many widths and colours. There were drawers filled with buttons on cards and carded hair slides for the girls. There were also shelves of caps and berries in various colours and sizes, and more. The shoes section had none of the designer stuff we're familiar with today. No Adidas or Nike trainers, just strong brogue shoes for men and women and children, and in summer, sandals for children all stacked in cardboard boxes with a picture of the contents on the end. Not everybody could afford them. When I started in school, the barefoot pupil was no longer an issue, but I do remember friends with holes in the soles of their shoes. I got holes in mine too, but I was lucky that my parents could afford to get them repaired. I started this piece with a small observation. As I wrote it, forgotten memories came flooding back. Not surprising. As a writer, I know that every word written generates another, or two, or three. And from them, sentences and chapters and books. Words are the vehicles on which memories are maintained. I've only dealt with one of the shops that were on the site of the current supermarket. I'll come back to the other one, owned by the aforementioned grandaunts Peg and Nora, at some other time. Before that, it was owned by my great-grandfather. But after I wrote this original piece and I sent it to my cousin Marella Fife, my Uncle Tom's daughter, I received a note from her with a copy of the old Byrne and Company letter heading and the following memories of Marella's own. One thing I remember about Tom Keegan as a little girl 
that he could make up the most wonderful brown paper packages containing exciting things tied up carefully with brown string that hung from the roof of the hardware and that he was able to actually break without using a scissors. No matter how I practised the technique, I was never able to do it. Do you remember, she asked me, the long white candles and the pile of potatoes in the back store that had to be weighed or the way they were able to cut glass? like magic to a five-year-old. Do you remember the squeak of the wooden boards and the heavy black folding iron gate that had to be pushed open every day? Do you remember? Do you remember? I had forgotten, Morella, but thank you. Now I do remember. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilcullen Diary. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 